This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec, the podcast that keeps you updated and educated. Tech Guide, episode 508. Hello and welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me once again. It's great to have your company. My name is Stephen Fennec. I'm the editor of techguide.com.au. On this week's show, did Apple just confirm its rumoured VR headset? Our first impressions of the Tesla Model Y and our growing appetite for EVs and the app that can make it easier to take a sickie. In the Tech Guide reviews, we take a look at the Arlo Go 2 4G camera. We road test the new M2 13-inch MacBook Pro and the Belkin product that can protect you from an expensive Apple Watch repair. And we'll answer all of your tech questions in the Tech Guide help desk. And it's all brought to you by Netgear, the company that keeps you connected, and Norton, the company that keeps you protected. There's nothing like a juicy Apple rumour, and there's always rumours about Apple, and usually they're pretty accurate. There's so much attention on Apple, and we, we see it every year when the iPhone uh, is is announced. The the rumours leading up to the announcement are pretty much, pretty much spot on. But in this instance, there's a, a product that they've been rumoured to be working on for some time. It's an AR, augmented reality, VR virtual reality headset. Now, this is a rumor that's been around for years. It's it's just it just refuses to go away. But the reason I'm talking about it today is that recently Apple CEO Tim Cook did an interview with China Daily, and he strongly hinted that they're working on something. Uh, what what we know is that the headset will combine augmented reality with virtual reality. So virtual reality is where your entire field of view is completely virtual. So you're in another, it's like you're in another place. Whereas augmented reality, as its name suggests, it augments what you're seeing. So it it puts digital information over what you can see. So a great example would be, you're in an art gallery and you're looking at a work of art and there's some information that comes up on the side that explains what you're looking at. So there's, you can just imagine the potential, the possibilities of that sort of software with that sort of device. Now, at the moment, to, for you to enjoy augmented reality, you need to have a device and hold it up in front of you so that the camera can see your surroundings and then, then augment that with that other digital information. But in the case of this rumoured headset, which is rumoured to be called the Apple View, you're wearing this headset that's quite lightweight and you're able to look through. So there's a pass through, so cameras to allow you to look through to see what's in front of you and then provide that digital information over the top. Now, in the case of virtual reality, then you'll be looking through two 4K micro OLED displays that will then give you that sense of being in a totally other place, so give you that virtual reality experience. Now, in his interview with China Daily, Tim Cook said he was excited about the opportunities with augmented reality, and I'm going to read his quotes now. I'm incredibly excited about AR, as you might know, and the critical thing to any technology, including AR, is putting humanity at the centre of it. And that is what we focus on every day. Right now, as an example, we have over 14,000 AR kit apps in the App Store, which provide AR experiences for millions of people around the world. I think despite that, we're still in the very early innings of how this technology will evolve. I couldn't be more excited about the opportunities we've seen in this space. Stay tuned and you'll see what we have to offer. Now that right there, that last sentence to me says, yeah, wait wait till you see what we're doing. And it really plays into these rumours about this new headset. Now, 
it went beyond just rumours. There were also 3D renders produced based on the rumours and also based on patent filings. So there were some 3D renders done by Antonio De Rosa, which we've got on Tech Guide if you want to have take a look at them. And basically it shows a visor that follows the curve of the user's face with an adjustable band similar to the Apple Watch band design and also similar to the AirPods Max headphone headband, you know, that goes across the top of your head when you're in the headphones. And a recent patent filing from Apple was called Head-Mounted Display Unit with Adaptable Facial Interface. So that refer, refers to the potential, the possibility that it may have eye tracking and adjustable lenses. But it goes beyond that. There was also a 3D document editing system in the patent as well. So you can just imagine that a person using a physical keyboard but wearing the headset which is used, which could be become your virtual monitor. So you could be typing away and what you're looking at, it can only be seen through the headset. Now that creates not only convenience, but also the possibility that you have the ultimate private session that no one can be looking over your shoulder to see what you're working on. So uh, that, that really can help if, you're, if you're, what you're working on is quite sensitive. I mentioned it does have two 4K micro OLED displays, but also has 15 camera modules, reportedly 15 camera modules, to track the user movement and your hand movements. So this, this is, uh, there's, there's, these reports have been around for a while. The renders have been around for a few months as well, or a little while also. But the latest reports say that Apple may release this product uh, in January next year, so January 2023. I'll, I, for one, will be really keen to see this because Apple has a tendency to enter markets and completely change them. Look back at what they did with the, the iPod. Look at what they did with the iPhone. They go into these markets and turn them on their head. And so this could potentially be an exciting new product line for Apple. No word on how much it would cost, but uh, giving, given uh, uh, my guess would be this won't be cheap. It'll be a premium product, but uh, really keen to see if this is actually real. Hopefully, before January next year, we might get some kind of clue that it is actually coming, but Apple never, ever discusses future products. We've, uh, we've gotten used to that, but uh, I don't know. Tim Cook, in that interview, I think he might have might have sort of basically hinted that, yeah, we've got something coming up. You've got to have to stay tuned and wait and see, which is what we'll all be doing. If you want to find out more about this, you can take a look at those 3D renders as well as also some of those patent filings so you can get an idea of what, what its capabilities would be if, if and when it's released. You can check all of that out at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennick. Now, we spent a few days in the Tesla Model Y. We, uh, we, had, we drove it for four days, just a few days after it went on sale as well. So we, I think we spoke to you, we, I mentioned on the show that it was on sale now, but I couldn't tell you my thoughts on it because the embargo for that lifted uh, just after last week's episode. So I, I did I did put that up on Tech Guide. My my I didn't call it a review. I called it my first impressions. I'm I'm not a car reviewer, so it's only my impressions I, I call that. So it's still my what my thoughts on the car and what it could do and the features and all of that. There's a video too, so please check out our video that's embedded on the story on on Tech Guide. But you can also go to my YouTube channel at uh, at Tech Guide AU AU standing for Australia. Now, the Tesla Model Y is uh, available in two models. The model I got to drive was the rear wheel drive. So one motor in the rear axle. If you The other model is Performance, which has a motor in both axles. And that's kind of what I've got in my current Tesla. I've been driving a Tesla for four years now, the Model S. And it's a dual motor, so motor in the front axle and the back axle, which gives it a bit more zip. The uh, rear wheel drive Model Y can get you 0 to 100 in 6.9 seconds, which is respectable. Performance, though, with the dual all-wheel drive, 
is uh, is three point seven seconds to go zero to one hundred. So a lot zippier right there. If that's if that's worth it for you, and you want a little bit more range, then you need to pony up uh, an extra $30,000 for that extra feature. But we're going to focus on the rear-wheel drive, which is what we drove. Uh, it was still responsive and smooth to drive, but just wasn't. you can't get as fast off the mark as you can with the dual motor model. Uh, the, the Model Y has a – the rear-wheel drive model has a 455-kilometre range – and as I said, smooth to drive and quiet, as as is all, as are all electric cars. So that's something you really need to take in mind. That silence is something you need to get used to because you you just take it for granted driving a petrol car that people can hear your car, the, the sound of your engine, and people walking through shopping centre car parks looking at their phone can hear that. What they can't hear is an electric car. And there's been many situations where I've been in car parks. And there's a person typing out a message and I'm literally one foot behind them and they suddenly turn around and think, oh, where the hell did you come from? But they weren't paying attention. It's uh, really something that an, an EV driver really has to look out for because pedestrians d- can't hear you. Uh, you you got to be very careful that you don't run into them. Now, uh, on the outside, the model we had had the 20-inch wheels. Looked quite nice. It was the, the blue color, metallic blue, which I quite liked. There are other colours available, of course, but the big thing about this one, and we've seen the Model 3 on the road, so basically the front of this car is the same as the Model 3. It's it's pretty much identical, same headlights, same sort of shape. It's only when you get round to the rear quarters that you can see, this is, just to put it bluntly, the Model Y's got a bigger butt. It's got a larger rear section. The trunk section, if you like, is a lot chunkier, and that's because it offers more storage space, a higher ride height as well gives you that extra that extra space. It sort of brings it into that SUV shape and class. The three is more a sedan, uh, the Model Three, and it, it is supposed to be a little bit sportier kind of look. But this uh, offers a bit more room, uh, can fit comfortably five adults inside as well. Pretty spacious for the car of its size, and uh, and it does uh, comes with the nineteen inch wheels, but. Uh, the twenty-inch induction wheels that were on our review model, our our car, were that's an extra two thousand nine hundred bucks. Now inside the car, and people who've never sat inside a Model Three or a Model Y or any Tesla for that matter, will be surprised at the the sparseness of it. So you you, you sit inside the Model Y, and in front of the driver, in front of the wheel, there is no display, nothing. You can just see the dashboard and the road in front of you. All of the information, any display, any info is displayed in the central 15-inch screen right in the middle, and that controls everything in the car. So there's no other buttons and switches. Apart from the buttons, there's some some scroll wheels and some stalks on the wheel, the driver, the driver's wheel, the steering wheel. Uh, Apart from that, everything is on that screen. And that controls the, the car, navigation, entertainment, connection, everything is on that screen. And that that's why the rest of the car is pretty sparse. You do have some, uh, on the driver's side, you do have some window controls to control all four windows uh, and the button to open the door. The other doors just have that particular door's window up and down and the button to open the door. And that's it. It uh, has no other buttons. There is also underneath the main screen, there are two wireless smartphone chargers as well. So the driver, passenger, you can easily, you sit your phones in there and they've, uh, there's this material that they grips the phone. It doesn't make it slip around. So that's uh, handy. You can charge your phone wirelessly while you're driving. Plenty of storage space in the central consoles as well. A lot, a lot of place, places that there's cup holders and you can put stuff down in the in that central console as well. Uh, in the back too, a lot of room, a lot of headroom as well. Like I'm pretty tall, like I'm six foot one and I sat in the driver's seat. You can see this in the video and there's still there's still decent amount of room above my head. The the, the uh, roof of the car is a, is a glass roof, so it's a panoramic glass roof. Can't open it, but it does let a lot of light in, which is the idea of a sunroof. And uh, yeah, so that that works really well, but still plenty of room above your head. Even if even if you're pretty tall like myself, you can adjust it so you're not bumping your head on the roof. 
That's always a good thing. Uh, th- this does have a slightly uh, – Tesla says this has a slightly higher ride height. In other words, the, the seats inside are slightly more elevated so that you get a better view from every seat. You think about it, you're, you're the driver. Of course, you want to have a good view of the road. But if you're a passenger, you can see not only out the door, out the windows on the sides, but also out through the roof. So it is a nice panoramic view that you get. Now, let's talk about charging. Uh, that's the thing that people are going to ask the most about. Where do I charge this thing? Well, you can charge it at home. Uh, what, what Tesla, I think they still supply. When I got my Tesla, that they included with the car was the wall charger that I got an electrician to install at my house so I could charge it through my three-phase power. I've got solar panels and a battery so I could charge in my driveway. And that is, I think, moving forward, the best course of action. If you intend on buying an electric car, I think the most reliable thing for you to do is to get prepare your home for the charging. So make sure there's a, I don't know whether you get a button to buy a wall charger or there's a power point in your driveway or you've got solar panels. Prepare yourself because there's no better thing for you than knowing you can charge it in your own driveway rather than having to scout around for a, a, a community charger, a destination charger. In the case of a Tesla driver, you've got the Tesla supercharger network, which that charges the cars much faster. If you're at home, if you just plug this into a PowerPoint at home, you're going to be charging overnight. It's going to take several hours to do it. My charger here, my wall charger through my power here, I can probably fully charge my car. If it's really low charge, I could probably charge it completely in four hours, which is an overnight thing. Or just top up. That's what te- what people tend to do is top up what they use for that day. On average, I think it's Aussies drive about 32 to 35 kilometres a day on average. So you getting home, plugging it in, you can easily top that up. You can easily just charge that. That's like an hour of charging, if that. You can easily top up what you used. So that that's good peace of mind if you are considering an EV. Great peace of mind for you to have that in the back of your mind, knowing that you can charge at home or in your office or in wherever you're going, knowing that, doing your homework. The problem I foresee in the future is when people that live in apartment blocks or that have to park in the street, that don't have a driveway and a garage to plug it into every night, that's going to be the issue for some people. I remember being in uh, Paris a few years ago and noticed that every parking meter was also a charger. So imagine being able to park in in a street with parking meters that you can also just pull out a plug and plug your car in at that very spot on the street. So these are things that are need need to be considered. Have the, having this infrastructure in place is going to give people a lot more confidence uh, in buying that. Speaking of confidence, I did also write on Tech Guide about a report uh, put together by Cars Guide. I'm Tech Guide. Well, I was talking about Cars Guide. Uh, their report was called EV Pulse Check. It showed that 70% of customers in the market for a new car within the next year have an even higher level of interest than they did a few years ago. So in the first five months of 2022, there's been already a 400% rise in electric vehicle sales. Now, while that sounds really impressive, I should point out that the number of sales are still quite low. So having a 400% rise means a low number just got slightly higher. So a 400, I think it was like 0.1% of all sales were EV. So if it went to 0.5% of all sales, that's a 400% rise. That's a, so it's still pretty low when you're in, in the grand scheme of things. But the purchase intent, so the driving factors to purchase an EV among 37% of the respondents to the Cars Guide EV Pulse Check report were the environmental benefits mainly. 37% said that was the driving factor, reduction in emissions. Another factor for 29% is the rising cost of living, which includes the soaring petrol prices. I'm really pleased to be out of that one myself, driving past petrol stations seeing those prices i've thought holy boy they uh that's a lot of money to pay for petrol and that's that's another factor that is driving customers to consider even further an ev so the rate of adoption of evs is on the uptake but 
Customers still need to be educated. We're still in the dark about what sort of charging infrastructures there's going to be in our areas, the subsidies available to to customers as well. That that's what that's what they said in this report that customers need an encouragement. There needs to be some kind of uh, tax reduction or something. If you buy an EV, then make it worth my while. I'm helping the the I'm helping the take taking emission reducing emissions and doing the right thing by the environment. So make it worth my while, I think, is what people are asking. So give us give us a break on the car tax or luxury car tax or whatever happened, whatever taxes you normally pay for a car, I think on an EV should be reduced to encourage more people to drive them. But anyway, back to the Tesla Model Y. Now, the uh, let's talk pricing. The price of the rear-wheel drive, actually, in the time that we had the car to the time we gave it back, the price actually increased, would you believe? Initial pricing was 68900 that's plus on-road costs. That went up from 68900 to 72300 plus on-road costs. And that followed a global price rise, not just here in Australia. Timing was pretty poor. And Tesla tells me that those who ordered at 68900 68, that Tesla was honouring that price, as they should, of course. You, you're not going to. You've already made done the deal. You're not going to uh, add more to the price. But the actual, pro- if you were to order today, the actual price is a little bit higher. Now, initial orders were going to uh, be arriving in Australia from August this year. But if you order now, you're probably looking at it at the earliest of February 2023 delivery. So it's February next year. So that's uh, that's a few months away. Uh, and look, if you're thinking of buying your first electric vehicle and it's in your price range, the Tesla Model Y is uh, is not a bad choice. And what I like about Tesla is the fact that the car improves with age. When I bought my first my Tesla four years ago, the guy said to me, "This is the worst your car is going to be today. It's going to get better from here." So and and by that he meant there were software updates, there were little features that appeared after these over-the-air updates. There was all these improvements. So my car is actually better than it was four years ago. So he, they were, he was right. And anyone else who buys a Tesla, the Model Y, they're also going to to enjoy that that benefit as well. You want to find out more about the Tesla Model Y and our EV take-up? You can check all that out at techguide.com.au. Now, you've heard the saying, there's an app for that. How many times have you said, oh, you know, I need to do this. Oh, there's an app for that. Oh, I need to do that. There's an app for that. Well, if you need to take a sickie, now there's an app for that. And it's called, imaginatively, Siki. Siki spelt S-I-C-K-Y. I, I keep thinking Siki spelt with an I-E, I'm pretty sure. But anyway, this is an app developed in Australia, free to download from the App Store, Google Play Store. And basically, it allows you to contact a health professional if you're feeling a little bit under the weather. They will assess you with a video call and then decide whether you can have a, a, a medical certificate. It's pretty basic, isn't it? Uh, all good ideas when you think about it. Yes, yeah, that's pretty simple. Why didn't I think of that? Here's the thing. The healthcare professionals they connect you with are not doctors. They are pharmacists, experienced pharmacists. So they assess you or your family member because you can use this to get a, a carer's leave certificate as well. So say your child's sick or your mother or someone you're looking after is sick, you can also get the carer's leave certificate as well as the sick leave certificate for yourself if that's what you need. Now, these pharmacists, I didn't know that under Australian law, pharmacists can provide healthcare advice and issue medical certificates. I did not know that. But you should, uh, I think, check with your workplace because some may require a medical certificate from a registered medical practitioner like a doctor. So you need to check your workplace agreement or your award or whatever, your contract, so uh, just make sure that if you need to take a sickie using this app, that you can do that because it's going to be a pharmacist that provides it. And if they decide that you're too sick to go to work, 
you can pay your $19.95 and receive a medical certificate that you can then pass on to your employer. And the whole process, start to finish, you look at it 10 minutes. You didn't, don't even have to get out of bed to do this. Now, I can hear some of you saying, oh, this is just going to make us take more sickies. Well, not really. I don't think so. It, it's going to make it easier to get a medical certificate. Um, and look, if, you, if you're dead set on missing work, then you don't need an app to do that. It's not hard to, especially after two years of COVID, it's not hard to get a sickie. But what this is going to do, I, I look, I'm being positive here. I'm looking at the benefits of this. This is going to uh, take people prevent people clogging up medical centres and doctor's offices just to get a medical certificate. Leave that to the people, make room for the people who really need medical attention rather than someone who's got a cough or the flu or something wanting to get a medical certificate. So that's the upside, I reckon, where you're not going to be, A, you don't have to go down there, B, you're not going to be in the waiting room at one of many other patients waiting for to see the doctor. And I think that's, uh, that's a good thing. Anything that makes it easy, you don't even have to get out of bed. And uh, if you if you do, like it is still even through this app. You got to remember the pharmacists; they've got their reputation and their license to consider. It's still against the law to issue you a medical certificate if they believe that your condition is not severe enough. So you might you might call and they go, "You sound fine. You're going to work." So it's not guaranteed you're going to get the medical certificate. I'm pretty sure that I think 99% of people would get it, uh, as long as they pay for it, of course. But I don't think uh, I don't think the if you're bunging on an act that you're sick, the sicky app that you, most people will I think will get their medical certificate. But again, that, that having the, an app that allows you to do that is not going to increase the number of sickies because if you don't want to go to work, you're gonna you're gonna ring up and say I can't come to work. So this isn't going to make, going to create a stampede of, of sickies. It just makes it easier if you are sick to get the medical certificate. That's how I'm looking at it. You want to check it out. The Sickie app is available now for free on the App Store and the Google Play Store. It costs you 20 bucks to get your certificate. But you can check it out. There's some screenshots there of how it all works at techguide.com.au. Keeping you updated and educated. Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. The dark web is an underground part of the web that isn't searchable from regular search engines. It's where cyber criminals buy and sell illicit items and stolen personal information like bank account details, home addresses, credit card information and more. Norton 360 Premium includes dark web monitoring, which searches the dark web markets for your personal detail, and if discovered, notifies you. Norton 360 Premium has multiple layers of protection for your devices, online privacy like a secure VPN, and dark web monitoring, all in a single solution. With real-time threat protection to help protect you and your devices from existing and emerging online threats, There's parental control to help manage your kids' online time, a school time to manage your child's remote learning, and a password manager to generate, store, and manage your passwords and other credentials more securely, safe cam for PC, and SMS security as well. Norton 360 Premium works for PCs, Macs, smartphones, or tablets, and it's available online at au.norton.com or an electrical retailer. And now, a Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennec. Alrighty. Let us kick off the Tech Guide reviews for this week. And we have been speaking about this for a while, the Arlo Go 2 4G and Wi-Fi camera. But we've gone ahead and set one up and we're reviewing it right now. This is a really, really handy product if you want to have that security and convenience and peace of mind in areas where you normally could not have that. And by that I mean, as we, as we are now, our, our security cameras rely on our Wi-Fi network. So you need to have a strong Wi-Fi to be able to connect the cameras, monitor the cameras, they'll send you notifications, all those sorts of things. But what about if you want to monitor a building site? No Wi-Fi there. A remote property. No Wi-Fi there. 
boat mooring. If you're lucky enough to have a yacht or a boat, where you where you moor your yacht or your boat is it, is there Wi-Fi there? Or your holiday house, your holiday house. You're there. I don't know once a month or however often you go to the holiday house. You don't have internet all the time while you're there. So that's another 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 area where an area that you couldn't usually monitor with a regular camera. So a product like the Arlo Go 2 has 4G connect- connectivity as well as Wi-Fi. So in the case of the building site, you can connect the Arlo Go 2 and put it you put a SIM card, there's a SIM card slot in the in the unit and that allows you then to connect to the cellular network so you're able to look at live the live feed, uh, any notifications, uh, talk to people through the unit as well. Uh, so again, you're getting that same protection you'd get from a normal camera in on Wi-Fi now independently connecting to the cellular network thanks to that onboard SIM card. But it does also have Wi-Fi. Now, for our review, I, I connected this at the very furthest corner of my property, my home, and where the Wi-Fi is pretty sketchy. It's, it's kind of non-existent in that very, very back corner of my backyard. There's like this old tree stump that I attach the camera to. So in this position, I'm able to look at my house from the outside. So rather than me, rather than it being looking out from my house, as my other cameras are, because they're close to the house on the Wi-Fi network, I'm now able to look at my house from the outside, from the very back of my yard. That's something you normally couldn't do with a normal Wi-Fi camera. And you can just imagine if you're in the middle of a a construction, there's no Wi-Fi there. So you can actually see, you can monitor the site. And you think about it, building sites... Builders uh, often leave their their equipment. There's the materials there, and being able to protect that uh, with a camera, I think, is a really appealing because it, it, rather than having to go through insurance and all of that stuff, having having this uh, like a prominent camera, I think, is going to perhaps deter a potential thief. And the good thing about this too, if you get a notification with movement, you can actually talk to the person in front of the camera. So if you spot someone, you say, "Oi, what are you doing?" Or it does have an internal siren as well. So you can flick the switch and and you can either manually put on the siren or set it to ring the siren when movement is detected. So if you know that after 5 p.m. or 4 p.m. on the job site, no one should be there, you could set a motion sensor, so motion detection to automatically activate the siren if if that's the case, because nobody should be there. And if someone's there, it could be a potential thief. So there's many, many scenarios here where that would be quite useful to people. What's also on board is an SD card slot as well. So we can record uh, locally. If you want to also record to the cloud, you can do that with an Arlo Smart plan and you get three months for free when you when you purchase the camera. But if you just want to have your local recording, so you can pull out the SD card, you can then view it on your computer one downside, you can't view the recordings through the SD card slot. I think you need to take it out. You have to take out the card, put it inside a, a memory card reader and, and do that, download the info. You, uh, you can see if it's, if it's a recording or a mo- motion detection, you can see that footage on the app itself. So yeah, you, you, the recorder, you can't go back through your recorded footage, but it does keep a little record, I think for for 24 hours or up to, might be even up to seven days if you don't have a plan. You can see that view uh, in, say you get a motion detection, you can see what, what just happened uh, on through the app, but just for a short time. You need the Arlo Smart plan to be able to look back up to 30 days at your recordings. So that that's look that that's for the price of a cup of coffee per month. That's that's the benefit that gives you. And I think Arlo has plans that cover certain numbers of cameras. So if you got up to five cameras, you can have it on one plan. Or if you have more than that, you might pay an extra couple of bucks. But plenty of options. And what Arlo Smart offers too is the ability for you to have smart notifications. So you're able to distinguish between a person, an animal, a vehicle, a package. So you can get those personalized notifications that tell you whether it's a person, animal, vehicle, or package. If you're waiting for a package, that's not a bad notification to receive. So uh, I, for our review, we connected, as I said, furthest corner of my yard and we had to do a firmware update. Firmware update took a little while. I don't know whether it was because I had 
not very good reception through the – I had a Vodafone data SIM card on board. Um, so although I can easily look at the – I can easily see the live streams pretty well, so there must be enough reception to do that. But uh, the good thing too is that if you install this, say you have installed this in your home on Wi-Fi and you still have a 4G SIM card in it, here's the other benefit I reckon. If you were to install this somewhere and say you have a blackout, with the blackout, so goes the Wi-Fi network, and so a regular camera would be would be dead. You can't view anything. You can't connect. But in this instance, it will fall back. It'll revert to the 4G SIM card. So imagine this in event of a blackout, a natural disaster. How many times do we see on the news recently floods, bushfires, the, the, the network goes out whether it's the, the, the home's Wi-Fi network, it will then revert to the 4G network for you to still see through the camera. You might, you, you know, an example would be, remember the recent floods? So the floods would have knocked out the home's Wi-Fi network, but you would still be able to see what's happening in your home uh, through the 4G network. So that, that's, I think that's an added benefit as well. The Arlo Go 2 4G, it is uh, full HD, by the way. has night vision, colour night vision. It's got a built-in spotlight as well. has all the features of your regular camera, as well as GPS. It has GPS built in so that if some smarty pants takes your camera, you can track it. So imagine the look on that person's face where you turn up at, that, at, at their address and say, can I have my camera back, please? Not only will they be recorded taking it, but the idiots don't wouldn't know that there's GPS on board and you can track them exactly where they are. The, the GPS is to give the owners uh, easily uh, to, to easily see where the cameras are. You can name them, but you can actually see them on a map. So imagine the sort of look on that person's face. Nice surprise when you turn up to reclaim your property. Give me back my camera, you bastard. The Arlo go to the 4G plus Wi-Fi cameras. Priced at 429 bucks. It's available now. And you can read our complete review at techguide.com.au. We got our hands on the first M2 13-inch MacBook Pro. I don't mean it was the first one off the production line, but it's the first 13-inch MacBook Pro model that has... The first model was the MacBook Air. It's not out yet, but the first one that was released was the MacBook Pro, 13-inch MacBook Pro. Now sporting the M2 processor. So we got our hands on that little baby. And look, I'm not going to pretend that I can push this thing to its limits because my limits would be video editing, bit of photo editing. I, I couldn't I'm not I'm not editing 8K, two streams of 8K and I'm not producing audio files with 98 channels and all this sort of stuff. That that's what a professional would do with this product. So let's just say that plenty of headroom for what I need it for. So it's uh, on the outside looks exactly the same. 13 inch MacBook Pro. If they were in a police lineup, you couldn't tell the M2 uh, apart from the M1. So precisely the same look. Still has its its nice design. Pretty thin. It's 1.56 centimeters thick, and it's still light. 1.4 kilograms. But that's the similarities. Uh, they're identical twins. It also has the same full keyboard, two Thunderbolt slash USB 4 ports, and a headphone jack. The M2 chip, though, allows for up to 24 gig of unified memory. Unified memory is what we used to call, what Apple used to call RAM. So normally they'd be give you 8 gig of RAM or 16 gig of RAM. They now call that unified memory. And on this particular unit, the M2 13-inch MacBook Pro, you can go up to 24 gigabytes of unified memory normally they go up in uh, in eights on oh, that guy's guy up in eight 16 plus eight is 24 there you go but normally they go up in once you go it, it's it doubles so it goes eight to 16 to 32 yeah it's uh like on my imac right that i'm looking at right now i've got 64 gig of uh, of ram but in this instance 
unified memory, 24 gig of it. Uh, the M2 chip, though, has a faster 8-core CPU, central processing unit, and up to a 10-core GPU, graphics processing unit, and a 16-core neural engine. It's also got 50% more memory bandwidth than the M1. So what does that mean? It means you could do things like edit multiple streams of 8K video and 4K video, instantly edit numerous complex images. You can play the latest games too with the graphics-heavy games. If you're editing in Final Cut Pro, for example, the M2 13-inch MacBook Pro is 1.4 times faster than the M1 and up to six times faster than a quad-core Intel Core i7-based MacBook Pro. Now, on the imaging side, uh, if you're processing, the new M2 MacBook Pro is 1.4 times faster than the M1 MacBook Pro and 3.4 times faster than the quad-core Intel Core i7 MacBook Pro. We had it, we've had it for a, just over a week and a half now, and as I said, we did some video and image editing and didn't even move the needle in terms of its performance. But pro users, relax. You can have peace of mind that this is going to deliver the performance you want wherever you are. That's the whole idea of buying a pro laptop. Now, here's a question I was asked. The Apple released the M2 MacBook Air, or have announced the M2 MacBook Air, uh, starting at 1899 bucks. The 13-inch MacBook Pro, M2 MacBook Pro, is available now. It's $1,999, $100 difference. MacBook Air, 100 bucks cheaper, same M2 chip. I've been asked, why should I buy the Pro? What's the difference? Do I need to spend the extra 100 Well, if you're a professional user, the answer is yes. What the M2 MacBook Air has, MacBook Pro, I should say, has that the MacBook Air does not is the active cooling system. So in other words, it can perform higher for longer. So longer streaks of performance with the Pro. So if you're a Pro, you're thinking you're rendering, editing, doing everything, you need the, the computer to perform at its highest level for longer. And it also has a longer battery life. So this is kind of more resilient performance. If you're occasionally stretching the limit a bit, editing and all that, then the MacBook Air will be fine. But if you need that pro-level performance in constant bursts, then that's the main reason, the, the difference between them. It's that active cooling system that comes in and says, hey, yeah, yeah, cool down a bit, boys, and can let you perform, let you get through all that work without slowing up on the MacBook Air, but without which doesn't have the active cooling system. Screen-wise, you've got the Retina display, so you get that hyper-accurate colour. Uh, it does have 500 nits of brightness and P3 wide color gamut, which is 25% more color than sRGB. The other improvements the M2 chip offers for the MacBook Pro is a HD FaceTime camera, so better image signal processing, so you can look good and also sound good with a built-in studio mic. The M2 13-inch MacBook Pro also has the touch bar. Remember that? The little digital, you know, instead of the row of function keys, you get the digital touch bar. It sort of changes to the to suit the application you're using. And again, it's all secured with a Touch ID that can instantly unlock the MacBook Pro, authorise uh, Apple Pay, uh, and open password-protected files. Now, here's the other benefit. I was really amazed when I looked at the first M1 device, the M1 MacBook Pro, and what I found was the battery life almost doubled for me. I could not remember a bigger improvement from one generation to the next than that. But M2 takes it even further. It gives an even even higher level of power efficiency. So it really delivers that maximised performance yet miserly power consumption, which is the holy grail of computing. High power, high processing speeds and performance, low power. That is the holy grail. Uh, Apple says the battery can run up to 20 hours on a single charge. That's a lot of time. And we noticed that battery improvement with the M1 chip, but also noticed the improvement here as well. So it sort of runs on the smell of an oily rag, this thing. The M2 13-inch MacBook Pro starts at $1,999. That's for the 8-core CPU, 10-core GPU, 8 gigabytes unified memory, 256 gig storage. That's, that's the bottom, the base model. You can improve on that. One word of note as well, 
The M2, while it's got a 20% improvement on the M1, still can't outperform the M1 Pro and M1 Max based on the, some benchmarking. Because you got to remember, the M1 Pro and M1 Max are actually fused. They're like two chips fused together. So two M1s are still better than one M2, just to keep that in mind. So that's what, what was in the Mac Studio. And the 14-inch and 16-inch MacBook Pros have the M1 Pro and M1 Max chips. We'll probably see the M2 Max chips, M2 Pro and M2 Max later this year. But that'll be another level of performance for that user as well. You want to read our complete review of the 13-inch MacBook Pro? You can check that out at techguide.com.au. Why do we, when we think about screen protectors, first thing you think about, I bet, is your phone. And let's, in this instance, we'll use the example of the iPhone. And screen protectors not only protect the screen from scratching, but can also protect the screen from breaking. So it can sort of take and disperse the force that would normally crack a screen that had no protection. But what about the screen on your Apple Watch? I've heard the stories, I've heard, I've had people, readers and listeners contact me about they cracked their Apple Watch screen and the cost to get it repaired is almost the price of an Apple Watch. When you think about it, all an Apple Watch is is a little screen. It's a that's the the bulk of the of the product is the screen. So would you believe a screen repair for an Apple Watch Series Seven from a authorized repairer is about four hundred bucks? Now that's pretty big when you consider you can buy a new one for five ninety nine. Here's where Belkin has come into play with their new Screen Force Tempered Glass 2-in-1 Screen Protect and Bumper for Apple Watch. They've got two models, a clear model and also a black model to match your black phone. And this is made of high-quality Japanese glass that can absorb and prevent screen scratches and protect from breakage. It has the same glass composition as the Apple Watch's screen. So same touch sensitivity, same feel. So you're not going to have any any reduced touch and feel there. There's also an antimicrobial coating so that the screen force does not discolor. So really, I think this is $39.95. I think a really smart investment, if you've just paid $600, $700, or whatever you paid for your Apple Watch, then a small price to pay to protect it. So you get the curved edges that sort of still maintains a look and feel and the tactile experience of the watch. It's got a polycarbonate bumper, so that protects the edges of the watch so that you keep them free from scratches and scuffs. It's also engineered from that Japanese glass to absorb absorb impact and prevent scratching. Uh, Has that antimicrobial coating, so no discoloration. And... It's it's like it's it's pretty cl- it's crystal clear. So the the glass you can easily look through and still enjoy the Apple Watch as if nothing is on the Apple Watch, and it just snaps on uh, really easily. To no no need to a- any kind of fancy install. Just click it into place and you're protected. The Belkin Screen Force Tempered Glass Two in One Treated Screen Protect and Bumper for Apple Watch is available now. It's $39.95. It's available from belkin.com forward slash au, JB Hi-Fi, The Good Guys, David Jones, and Amazon. If you want to take a closer look, check it out, techguide.com.au. You're listening to Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Netgear. They're Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand. If your home demands superior Wi-Fi, treat it with a masterpiece in connectivity. Bring your Wi-Fi up to speed with the Orbi Wi-Fi 6E from Netgear. Orbi Wi-Fi 6G is the first and only Wi-Fi 6 quad-band whole home mesh system, opening exclusive all-new 6 gigahertz superhighway that's fine-tuned to deliver unprecedented Wi-Fi speeds and smoother streaming simultaneously across the smart homes of today and tomorrow. It's Wi-Fi perfectly engineered. Wi-Fi 6E, the fastest Wi-Fi ever. Find out more 
at netgear.com.au forward slash best Wi-Fi. All your tech questions answered. This is the Tech Guide Help Desk. The Tech Guide Help Desk brought to you by our good friends at Belkin. We were just talking about the Belkin Apple Watch Screen Force, one of many products you can buy, including MagSafe devices, cables, chargers, earphones, you name it, belkin.com forward slash au to check that out. Now, here is a tip I often give my readers and listeners and anyone who'd listen to me. There, do you remember when they used to, people used to have their phone plan and then a separate data plan? or a little hotspot, or connecting you know, laptops and other, other products. Today, with the sheer size of our phone plans, and by size I mean the amount of data that we get with our plans, I think my current plan has 180 gig a month, which I don't get anywhere near close to, then I think what this means is that you don't need to buy a separate data plan. You don't even need to buy a separate hotspot. If you have a phone that you can turn into a hotspot, then that can do, that'll do the trick to connect your laptop. That's what I often do. If I'm out and about, I'm working remotely or wherever, might be in a shopping center or somewhere between meetings or whatever, I flick my, my well, I use a Mac and so it'll recognize my iPhone or, or if I want to use that as a hotspot, I just click on that in the Wi-Fi drop down and boom, I'm connected. And you can see the instant that you make that connection because all your emails come in, your page refreshes, and it's all, it's all happening. And I know that I've got plenty of data at my back because my plan is huge. So I can easily get by uh, without having a separate hotspot. I used to have, uh, I still have it. I don't use it as much as a Netgear hotspot. I'm waiting to get the Netgear 5G hotspot too, the latest one. And uh, you know that, that if you have a separate plan, you want that extra speed perhaps, then that's your choice. You could see the advantage of having a hotspot is that you can choose, say like on my phone, I've got Vodafone as my, my carrier. But you might want Telstra to be your data carrier. You could buy Telstra SIM for that particular hotspot. That's the advantage of having your, the, a separate data plan. You can choose a potentially faster network if that's what you want or you can stick to just the one plan, your phone, use that as a hotspot and save your money. You don't have to buy a hotspot. You don't have to buy an extra data SIM. Use the SIM that you brought. Use the SIM that you already have. And that is our show for this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you need to find out more, you can go to techguide.com.au. Everything we've spoken about is on our website. And if you want to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email, info at techguide.com.au. And you can also click the Ask Stephen icon on the homepage, and that will also direct an email my way. We'd also like to thank our great sponsors, Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs, and also Norton, the company that can keep you, your family, and your devices safe online. Thank you once again for listening. We'll be back with another show next week. So until then, stay safe and stay connected. 